Hello and welcome to the February issue of the Sound on Sound podcast, which runs alongside the February issue of the magazine. I'm Editor-in-Chief Paul White, and with me is Technical Editor Hugh Robjohns. Hello then, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Hugh. <laughs> this is a short podcast as we're off to NAM tomorrow, so we'll update you with all the details of the new toys as soon as we can. We can, however, reveal the secret UA product mentioned last month that they were trying to keep so close to their corporate chest. It is in fact called the Apollo and it's a multi-input and output audio interface featuring very high quality converters and a built-in UAD2 DSP engine so that you can now track via their plugins if you want to without any additional latency. It comes in dual and quad-core versions and should be available sometime during the first quarter of the year. So uh, something to put on your to-buy list. It'll probably be on mine. Yeah, and mine, although the drivers for the PC version won't be out until a little bit later, I think. That's true. It's coming out for computers first and uh, office typewriters second. Oh, thank you so much. But before getting on to the February issue of the magazine and its contents, let's see what he's been doing since Christmas. Well, playing with office typewriters, obviously. <laughs> I had two weeks off at Christmas, actually. It was very nice. Very laid-back, restive time. But since then, I have been looking at a couple of microphones. Uh, I've been looking at the new Audio-Technica 250, which is a dual-capsule bass drum mic, kind of a scaled-down, cut-price version of the AE2500, which actually I own myself and use quite a lot, and I quite like that. Uh, I've been looking at a microphone stand, Latch Lake's Mic King stand, which is very impressively engineered, scarily expensive, but it's one of those stands that you'd only ever buy once, and it would last you an entire lifetime, and probably your descendants' lifetimes too. I've been looking at TC Electronics loudness meter, the LM2 loudness metering system, and uh, I've been contributing to a big feature article about loudness. What about you then? What have you been up to? Well, I've built myself yet another experimental guitar I don't really need. This time a strat-shaped thing with a couple of DiMarzio noiseless pickups and a Kinman noiseless P90 in the bridge position. That's made from Swamp Ash and it sounds very promising. I'm sure you're not the slightest bit interested in that. Or the hassles I had reinstalling a new shower. On the reviews front, I've just uh, reviewed the Lexicon Native MPX Reverb plugin, which is both affordable and sounds very good to my ears. And I've also been working on that technique feature that Hugh just mentioned. The other thing I've checked out is the Blue Reactor microphone, which is a weird-looking thing that's not particularly expensive and actually works rather well. Features. Let's tantalise you with some of the features you can expect to see in the February issue of Sound on Sound. If you're into recording the electric guitar, there's an in-depth look at how the speaker cabinet affects the sound. Well, if you're a more low-tech kind of creature like I am, and like hitting wooden boxes, which most of us do, we have a piece on recording the cajon. It's one of those wooden box things that drummers sit on and hit. Our big techie feature is all about how to get that big, expensive vocal sound, so I'm going to be reading that one too. While Classic Tracks looks at the making of Sinead O'Connor's Nothing Compares to You. On Test our test section this month contains over 25 product reviews, including the Loop Trotter Monster Fett Compressor and Valve Distortion Unit, the AEA 840 Active Ribbon Microphone, and Focusrite Scarlett 18i6 Audio Interface. Also along the interface line of things is the RME Fireface UCX, which works with Mac, PC, and even an iPad. And if electronic music is what you're into, then don't miss the review on Dave Smith's new Tempest Analog Drum Machine, or more affordably, the Korg Monotron Delay and Duo Analog Synths. If you already have plenty of soft synths but feel they're getting a bit out of control, then perhaps the Novation Impulse 49 controller keyboard would meet your needs. And finally, if you run out of cash altogether, you can still enter our competition to win a pair of SE's Monroe Egg monitors worth over £2,000. Sound advice. OK, time for a few Q&As from our post bag. 
The first one is all about intermittent contacts. We all know that intermittent contacts can cause crackles or loss of signal. But um, this gentleman, Dave, asks whether they can cause deterioration in sound quality. And this is one for Hugh, I'm sure. Well, the short answer is yes, they can. What tends to happen is as the contacts tarnish and get dirty, the resistance increases and they can even become semiconducting. So you get a kind of diodic action, a kind of rectifying action to the signal, which can cause quite a lot of distortion. So yes, it, it can certainly cause distortion. It can be quite a significant problem. So the solution is to keep your patch base clean. Uh, I use Deoxid on mine. Would you recommend that? Yeah, Deoxid is, is an extremely good product. You just kind of spray it on and wipe it off and it looks great. I suppose in a patch bay, you also have to pay attention to the normalising contacts, which are the ones that you don't see from the front, but they're the ones that complete the circuit when nothing's plugged in. Yeah, that's right. And you can't easily clean those from outside because they're on the backs of the contact springs. But if the jack field's been designed well, then they should be kept dust-free anyway. But they can still oxidise slightly, so maybe a spray with deoxid would help that. Yeah, if you can get the deoxid into them, often you have to go into the back of the jack rather than through the hole at the front. But yeah, absolutely. Of course, patch bays are less common in studios now, or certainly the number is smaller than it used to be back in the days when everything was analogue. Yeah, I think that's true, because uh, with interfaces these days, you can select different inputs with the input routing in your door software. So you don't physically have to go around patching things all the time, which makes life a lot easier and quicker. So they're less of a necessity now than perhaps they used to be. I suppose it's still handy to bring out one or two things if you need to repatch them. It's much better than crawling around the back of the wreck with a torch. Yeah, I agree, but I think it, it's worth giving some serious thought as to what you actually need to be able to break into and what you don't, because running signals through a patch bay just for the possibility of having a convenient patching time later on does risk the signal quality to a degree, so the fewer the number of connections you can have along the way, the better. So don't just bring things out to a jackfield because you think it might be a good idea. Do it because you know it will be a good idea. I can agree with that one. I've uh, rationalised my entire system now, in fact, to get rid of all the patch bays. Back when everything was analogue, I had eight 24-way patch bays in there, and that was quite a job to keep clean. I'm sure the signal quality is better for having them gone. Yeah, I'm sure. The only other thing that's probably worth mentioning is not to put uh, mic signals through patch bays if you can avoid it, because you, you end up shorting the phantom power out as you plug the plugs in and out. And the same goes for speaker outputs from amplifiers. Don't put those on a patch bay because a mistaken connection can cost you an awful lot of damage if you do that. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Well, I have often thought that a, a jack to mains lead would actually be quite a good idea for people who play smoke on the water in music shops. <laughs> yeah, very good idea, but it's not April yet. We can't do that one. <laughs> Here's another one that I know Hugh's just going to love kicking off with, and that is we've been asked, what's the difference between using a compressor to keep your vocals level and using level automation? Surely they both can do the same job. Yes, they can to a degree, but as that old joke about um, what's the essence of good comedy, I think the answer is actually in timing. Would you like to uh, explain that further, Hugh? Uh, yes, a compressor can only react after the event, in most circumstances anyway. So... It's going to react to loud signals, but the signal has to get loud before it knows it's loud and can then pull it down. Whereas with fader automation, you can anticipate a loud event coming up and you can bring the fader down in advance, which has a subtly different effect. And in many cases, I think the fader automation is the ideal solution, but it does take much longer to set it up and get it optimised properly whereas a compressor just gets on with it. So it's horses for courses. But of course, a compressor can react very quickly, uh, whereas a human with a fader trying to program all these moves isn't going to get all the different syllables within a word balanced correctly. So sometimes the compressor can actually do a better job, I think. Yeah, I think so. As I say, it's horses for courses. It depends what you're trying to achieve. And the ideal solution is probably a combination of, of the two, where you use some fader automation to 
anticipate the biggest level changes and let a compressor deal with the smaller, quicker ones in between. That's exactly where I was leading here because that's uh, what I do in my own mixes. And I find that the compressor is good because it gives things a, a solidarity and a, and a tonal quality that level automation on its own can't achieve. But if you've got a lot of variation in level and you're using a compressor to beat that into submission, then often you overcompress the loud parts. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. So, combine and conquer. Absolutely. Okay, Paul, one for you now. We had a question on the forum recently about somebody who discovered one of their guitars was picking up TV sound. And it seemed to happen at different times of day. Sometimes it, it did pick it up, sometimes it didn't. And uh, the theory that's been going around the forum is that it's probably been caused by their next door neighbour who might have an inductive loop for his hearing aid, because he's quite an old chap apparently, uh, and that might be the case. What do you think? That sounds quite likely to me. The solution may be more difficult, of course. Guitar pickups being made of coils of wire do pick up induced hum very easily and induced audio in this case. A humbucking pickup is probably the best solution, or at least partial solution. That should get rid of most of the problem, and good quality screen cable should sort out the rest of it. Uh, in an extreme case, you could also insulate the cavities inside the guitar with self-adhesive copper strip and ground that to form a little Faraday cage around the electronics. That quite often works really well. Now, if you're worried about fitting humbuckers to a guitar that has normally single coil pickups, there are some pretty good sounding alternatives available. I like the ones from Kinman, but you can also get Seymour Duncan, DiMarzio and one or two other manufacturers make these stacked Stratocaster and Telecaster humbuckers that reject pretty much all of the induced noise and keep most of the tone that you've come to know and love, so that may be the only option. Are they expensive, Paul? They tend to be more expensive than single coil pickups because they're more complicated to make, but if you do a lot of recording, it's a small price to pay for peace of mind. Mm. Just send the invoice next door. <laughs> And are they easy to fit? If you can solder, they're easy to fit. Or in the case of Kinman, they do a no-solder harness, so if you can operate a screwdriver, they're easy to fit. But failing that, the guy at your local music store's probably got a guitar tech who can solder them in for you in half an hour. So, now changing pickups is a pretty easy job. OK, thank you for that. Well, that's about all we've got time for because I've got to go upstairs and pack my toothbrush now and some clean clothes and nip on the plane to Nam. We've got to endure 12 hours in economy, bum-numbing hell, watching films that we've already seen, but that's par for the course because when we get there, there'll be lots of glorious new toys to see. So it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from you. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye.